You know, I've been doing quite a bit of uh, media things lately. Not only is this podcast and also doing my blog, but I've been working with the Toronto Police Services, with the traffic services, doing their um, one of their social media podcasts. It's a video discussion, and uh, they're on Twitter, and it's really kind of nice, actually. Uh, the two officers, uh, Sean and Brandon, do a wonderful job of keeping it organized. And it's about 20, 25 minutes in length. And the reason I'm bringing this up, it's really nice to have enforcement working with education. You know, for those who think it's just enforcement, it's a money grab, it's a ticket grab. No, it's not. Because if it really was the case, they wouldn't be offering the education to their viewers and their listeners. So kudos to my new friends, Sean and Brandon, for a job well done. And they're all over the place and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter as well. Uh, and YouTube too. So welcome to another episode of Speed Bumps, a safe driving podcast. This is episode 36. In this episode, we'll talk about how you adjust to a traffic jam. Is there such a thing as drive-through etiquette and What's your feeling about towing a trailer? Hmm, let's go. During my uh, one of my recent commutes to my office, I came across a traffic jam and we were driving pretty much at a crawl, maybe 30, 40 kilometers an hour on the expressway instead of 100K. And the, this part didn't really surprise me a whole lot because I listened to the traffic reports on the radio uh, on my way in and home each day. And these traffic reports give me information well in advance. That really helps me make my decision about the routes I take. So I knew it was going to be a little bit slow. Now, the reason it was slow is that there was overnight construction and the, uh, the workers had not removed all the cones yet. So two left lanes were blocked which kind of forced everybody over to the right. Now, I was expecting the, the slowdown, but not everybody listens to traffic reports. They'll listen to music or podcasts or just even silent driving for a while. And that's okay. But it's what we do when there's a, a slowdown. So what do you do if there's a traffic slowdown? Do you take alternative routes? Well, sometimes I do. Part of it, it really depends on what the problem is. So there was a situation I was going to work one day and again, beautiful radio reports, traffic reports told me that there was a collision and all lanes, but one were blocked and it said where it was. And you can get this on other um, electronic uh, reports like Waze. If you haven't really used that, it's, it does the same thing. And uh, also your GPS can tell you. So I knew where it was, so I exited the expressway and did a three to four minute detour around the problem and got back onto the expressway again. So my three or four minute detour saved me probably 15, 20, maybe even half an hour. So that worked out quite well. But when it came to this construction, they hadn't removed the cones, but they were in the process of, I was okay to wait. I'm a pretty patient guy. I leave early enough that any detour or any slowdown isn't really going to affect my arrival a whole lot. I'm not going to be late for work or late for appointments and everything is fine. So we have to remain calm 
behind the wheel so we can make calm, rational decisions. But on this day, there was drivers weaving and speeding and changing lanes rapidly. The same drivers back and forth, and some even used the shoulder to pass traffic. Um, no. And there was a time I remember watching a, a there was a problem on the, on the expressway and a driver decided to use the shoulder to go past the stop traffic to try to get ahead. And they almost got, uh, n- got nailed by a, a police cruiser using the shoulder in an emergency with their lights going. Well, that just slowed down the, the emergency services by using the shoulder. So especially when they weren't looking before they went onto it. So being patient's a good idea. Uh, listening to traffic reports is a great idea. But accept the fact that traffic jams are going to happen, especially if you use the freeway every now and then, city problems. But know before you go. Check out to see what routes are available. And uh, if you do have the electronics on your GPS, it will tell you an alternate route that you can use. But be patient because it could be cleared up in a matter of minutes And in my case, with the construction cones, it was. So we picked our speed up pretty quickly thereafter, and all was good. I think it probably slowed me down maybe five or ten minutes on my normal commute. So not a big deal. So chill, won't you? Being taught manners when I was a kid was a big part for my parents. They want to make sure us kids said please and thank you and didn't really cause a problem for anybody else because of greed or anxiousness or what have you. So using that as I'm an adult, and I've been an adult for a number of years, uh, legally anyway, um, one of the things that that I, I try to teach my kids is also about manners and etiquette. So I think there's really driving etiquette. You know, letting someone in when they need to do a lane change, especially when you know their lane is going to end. Um, someone who is needs to make a turn and you they're signaling. They know you know they're going to move over. You kind of have that feeling. So letting them in, maybe tap the horn, wave them in, slowing down, lets them in. So having driving etiquette should be something we do every day. But should there be etiquette in the drive-through line? You know making sure that other people get what they need and not holding people up. You know, using your drive-through manners. So drive, drive, uh, drive-through etiquette would be deciding if you're going to use the drive-through or go inside the restaurant and order. So I am not a big drive-through kind of person, but when the pandemic hit, we weren't really allowed to go inside. So we had to use the drive-through. But now that we can walk inside and take out our food so we can just order our food, get it, and leave and go back into our car, I try to do that more so than use the drive-thru. I leave the drive-thru for those who basically want to grab a coffee. It allows the drive-thru to go quickly and allow those who really feel that they need to in and out. Not a problem. If I'm ordering food for my family, I don't I want to sit at the, uh, the order speaker ordering, you know, five meals, six meals that are all specific because it's also going to take a while to have it ready at the window, especially if there's specific parts to the order. So instead of using the drive-thru, I will go in for that because I know it's going to hold up everybody else. 
Now, other part about being drive-through etiquette is being patient when you're behind someone like that. Honking your horn at someone who's uh, taking a long time, it may not be them. It could be the service inside. Maybe the person didn't get to the speaker to say, how may I help you, right away. And maybe they had to find some things, not because the order was special, was because maybe it was the shipment was just coming in or it was in the wrong place. So you don't really know the reasons why someone takes a long time. Now, one of the other things about drive through etiquette is make sure you have your payment ready when you get to the window to pay. Stopping, putting it in park, getting your wallet or your purse out, finding your wallet, finding the card you want to use, finding the cash you want to use. When you get there, holds up everybody. Imagine if everybody did that. So have your card ready, have your payment ready, so that way you can tap and go. And it allows the line to keep moving. We kind of live in a go, go, go society. And the reason drive throughs are there is to allow traffic to keep moving, allow people to keep moving. We've seen drive throughs in restaurants. I've seen drive through beer store. And I've seen a drive through at a variety store when people wanted to buy just cigarettes. Because sometimes you're in a hurry to grab a smoke, apparently. When I was a kid, for years, my dad had a trailer. We had campers, we had house trailers, and my dad was towing it on a weekend basis. Uh, Not necessarily every weekend, but a lot of weekends throughout the summer. Now, when we were done with the trailer for that weekend, on the Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, we come home, and my dad would back the trailer back to the end of the driveway, into the backyard, so it's out of the way until the next weekend. Now, we didn't really have a lot of space between the trailer and the house and the trailer and the fence, probably like six inches on both sides. But my dad rarely had to reposition and try again. He usually got it in the backyard first try. So watching how he did it uh, when I was a kid and I got older, I went and bought a trailer, a camper trailer. And I learned about how I could back it up and uh, maneuver it in a nice, easy, safe way. Well, not everybody backs up a trailer. Not everybody tows a trailer. So it's quite interesting when someone uh, borrows a trailer for the very first time and they try to back it up. Some really have no idea which way to turn the steering wheel. So if you take your time and you go slowly and you watch what happens, you can usually make adjustments. Like you want the trailer to go a certain way and you steer a certain way and you realize the trailer's going the opposite way. Doesn't logic tell you to go the other way? Well, you'd think so. Well, when we did Canada's Worst Driver for the years and the seasons that I did was seasons one, two, and three, we had backing up a trailer. Now, the first year it was in the winter. And we had a small, uh, a snow machine, a snowmobile on top of a trailer. So it was a very small trailer. And I gave them some tutelage every year on how to back up the trailer. Always did. Made sure they had 10 minutes of understanding how to tow it, how to go around a corner, and how to back it up. But 10 minutes isn't really a lot. But you do have to use logic. So this one course in season number one of Canada's Worst Driver, being in the winter, able to drive the course and then back it down a ramp like we're launching it. It was a boat launch ramp. So it took me five minutes to run the course. And I haven't really backed up a trailer in a number of years. But yes, I had done it previously. 
So five minutes, I was pretty okay with that. I didn't have too many struggles, but I did go slowly when I knew I had to. Then we had the participants do it. And some were okay. We'll say okay being the strongest. But then there's another. And they did over 45 minutes, where I did five, to back it up. They weren't really learning about what happens with the trailer when they turn the steering wheel. Or what happens with the front of the vehicle when you steer in reverse. So the recommendation to them was either learn, get some more tutelage, or never tow a trailer in your life. One of the years, it was a camper being towed by a, a pickup truck. And I was showing them again how to do this. So when I was done showing them, the executive producer asked me to uh, go down this one dirt road, turn around and come back so it's ready for them. For the, ta-da, here's what we're going to do. But the problem was, when I went down the dirt road, there was no place to turn around. Like there was nothing. And there was trees on both sides of this dirt road. So I had to turn the car around like a three-point turn with a trailer. Holy moly. So it took me a little bit to get it done, but I got it done and all was good. And the truck and trailer were ready to be showcased as the next event. But then after a while, I was kind of wondering, I wonder if they had their cameras running and they were watching, hey, let's watch Scott, the expert, back up this trailer and do a three-point turn. I really hope there was no camera running at that time, but at least I got it done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Speed Bumps, a safe driving podcast. Be sure to check back again soon. Remember, these podcasts usually come out on a Sunday. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to offer some tips or even a, a topic to discuss, drop me an email. My email address is safedriver36 at yahoo.ca. You can also reach me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at safedriver. And don't forget to check out my blog, thesafedriver.ca, as there's articles coming up on a regular basis. Now, if you like the podcast and you want a podcast for you, or you have something that you'd like to announce or record, I am available for any uh, voiceover work. So you can also drop me an email for that. Have a good week and drive safe. We'll talk soon. I'm Scott Marshall.